Welcome to Swift Coaches Academy, a podcast dedicated to bringing health and wellness professionals the uncensored truth behind what it really takes to succeed in the health industry with me, your host, Zenia Wood. As an accredited exercise physiologist and business owner for almost a decade, I'm on a mission to transform the lives of ambitious health professionals like you who want more and are ready to take action to create incredible impact in your careers and unlock financial freedom in your business. So join me as I speak candidly with industry leaders about the struggles and successes from within the trenches through thought-provoking conversations. Fascia. Can you change the properties of fascia or break up fascial adhesions? What the heck is fascial stretch therapy? And are you really creating change by foam rolling your ITB, which is a fascial band? As always, let's start with the definition. Fascia is a band or sheath of fibrous connective tissue which permeates like a 3D matrix through the body, encapsulating muscles, bones, and organs. Fascia Research Congress in 2007 explains fascia is known to play an important role in transmitting mechanical forces between these structures. But what is it really and what else does it do? Healthy, relaxed fascia is a series of wavy connective tissues and is largely made up of collagen fibers, which have viscoelastic properties. While purely elastic materials strain and stretch immediately return to their original state, like an elastic band, viscoelastic properties are different in that they exhibit time-dependent strain, meaning that they will tighten when stretched up until a point where they can no longer handle the forces and they break. Fascia, despite being viscoelastic, doesn't have as much elasticity as you might think. Although fascia is partly collagenous, it isn't dense in collagen, which is useful as it allows fascia to transmit force. There are three layers of fascia that we need to talk about. The superficial layer, directly under the skin, the deep layer, which surrounds the bones, the muscles, the nerves, the blood vessels, um, and this deep layer also detects tension, changes in pressure, vibrations, touch, heat, and painful stimulus. And then there's visceral fascia, which pertains to the organs. For today, we're going to talk about deep fascia, because that's the one that relates most to exercise and movement. Within deep fascia, there are two subtypes. Aponeurotic fascia, which are only in two places, the thoracolumbar fascia and the rectus sheath. These are thicker and they're usually easily differentiated and separated from underlying muscle. Then there's the epimysum, which is a connective sheath surrounding the muscles that also permeates muscle layers in through things um, that you can see through like the glute max, pec major, in the delts. When you pull it apart, there's fascia intertwined. It's also thinner and it's connected more tightly to the muscle. So what does deep fascia do? Primarily, the role of deep fascia is, as Stecco in 2016 explains, to act like tendons to transmit forces. Passero in 2007 says that the fascial network is intimately bound to muscle and we must understand that we cannot isolate just fascia when we talk about transmitting forces. Hungi in 2003 explains that myofascial, which means muscle and fascia, force transmission occurs as a result of mechanical tension generated by muscle contractions. This happens by one of two ways, either intermuscularly, which is between two adjacent muscles, which are synergistic in nature, which means that they do similar or the same movement, or extramuscularly, which is between a muscle and something else, such as blood vessels, nerves, ligaments, something near it. Forces exerted in this way play more of that stabilizer role. 
This occurs through the principle of what's called tensegrity. Tensegrity of the body explains how all human tissues, bones, muscles, connective, form a part of a fascial network. Therefore, structures in the body can be tensioned or compressed, and these forces are distributed throughout the network because it functions as one unit. For example, if you pull on one little piece of a spider's web, it's going to affect the entire web, not just the area of tension. However, this is conditional based on the compliance of the connection, i.e. the lower the stiffness, the harder it is for force to be transmitted. Tissue stiffness needs to be high enough for these forces to be transmitted. So what I'm trying to say is, hey coach, are you loving this episode? Because if so, I have some incredible news for you. We have our last round of our educational mentorship as you know it. So this is our incredible 12-month mentorship with me where we go through everything from assessments, biomechanics, anatomy, training principles, and so much more. This is our most in-depth version of anything that we do education-wise, and this is the last time we are going to be running this as you know it. So we only have 12 spots left. And uh, it starts on Monday, the 27th of November. We are taking interviews for this, interview only. Uh, And if you're interested in this, then click the link in the show notes. And I would love to jump on a call with you and see if this is right for you. Now back to the episode. What I'm trying to say is that the tighter the fascia is, the quicker the force gets transmitted. Imagine a rope attached to a sled. If the rope is laying on the floor limp, you have to pick it up and pull the rope until it gets taut for the sled to start moving. The same happens with fascia in the body. The more the structure has to move before the fascia becomes taut, the smaller the impact the fascia will have on those other connective structures. Keep in mind that fascia is never really loose like a rope as all living things have and need tone. So there's always inherent tension within any tensegrity model. The second thing that fascia does is it produces tension to resist forces that generate muscular activation. Wang in 2007 explained that under stretch, fascia is exceptionally strong when it comes to resisting tension as it creates strain. Think about a slack line. The more stretched it becomes, the more tension it creates and the firmer it is in its structure. Fascia does one other thing. It reduces friction. It creates a sort of gliding and sliding mechanism to allow for as much force as possible to be transferred from one muscle to another or to an external load, i.e. when lifting. And it's vital to avoid force loss due to friction. So, Is fascia something that we can stretch? Schlepp in 2005 recognized that there are active contractile elements in fascia. So fascia does have some stretching capacity. And it also is to allow for things like normal blood flow, nerve conduction, and swelling of the underlying structures that need to happen in daily life. Like for example, muscle swelling immediately following exercise. So if it can stretch, can it become stiff? And what happens to fascia when we get injured? We know fascia can become stiff, as shown with neuromuscular conditions such as spastic palsy, as well as autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis. However, localized fascial stiffness can be found in areas of current or past inflammation and trauma. In these locations, we see dense connective tissues rich with myofibroblasts, so muscle, fiber, 
blast, meaning the creation of new cells. Gat et al. in 2019 denoted that fascia loses its pliability or its elasticity, which leads to tension and restricted movement. It also reduces blood flow and increases pain sensitivity of the underlying tissues, so the muscles and the organs. This has also been shown in a couple of different studies. The thoracolumbar fascia was shown to be 25% thicker with men with chronic low back pain by Langevin in 2011. Another study in 2011 showed that the plantar fascia also related to this thickness idea with inflammation as symptomatic patients had significantly greater plantar fascia thickness on ultrasound than non-symptomatic patients. This was shown by Fabricant and Park in 2011. Inversely, but in the same study, fascial thickness actually diminished with what they deemed to be successful treatment. Another study by Waring in 2007 was shown that decreases after one bout of running was actually better to reduce the stiffness of fascia versus one bout of walking. Interestingly, there is conflicting evidence as to whether the thickened fascia is also a potential factor for pain. Lederer in 2019 explained that tissue stiffness is not related to pain experience. While we know that pain is extremely complex and multifaceted, there also seems to be some correlations between inflammation and the central nervous system sensitivity to these pain receptors. Additionally, those experiencing pain were found to have a reduction in the sliding capacity and therefore had more friction during passive flexion of the fascial structure in relation to the underlying musculature. This was in the lumbar spine specifically. So let's briefly use what we've learned to answer a couple of really common questions on fascia. Firstly, does fascial stretch therapy actually work? Well, maybe, but it will never be just the fascia that stretches and muscles have a heck of a lot more contractile properties in them. So it's probably more likely muscular changes are occurring with the intention behind fascial stretch therapy being to address the fascial lines and kinetic change as we discussed with tensegrity. Remember, all tissues are connected by fascia. Second question, are we really creating change by foam rolling your ITB, which is a fascial band? Probably not. Fascia needs tensioning to elicit its elastic properties, not direct pressure. Similarly, with self-myofascial release, we find the best results come from potential temporary benefits with deep pressure, massage, trigger point therapy, but it needs to be followed up by movement. In isolation, it's just a band-aid fix. So all in all, what do we now know about fascia? Fascia has three main roles, to transmit force, to produce tension, to resist force, and to reduce friction. We also know that fascia can stretch to a degree. It can be a source that receives sensory input and it can thicken due to injury and restrict our range of motion, but it also may have a potential to thin as a result of exercise and movement. With all this being said, there are still a few key unanswered questions I'd like to see addressed in the literature. Can you ever truly stretch fascia in isolation? And can fascial thickness that's caused by injury be decreased with movement over time? Any questions, comments, feedback? I'd love to hear it all in the comments below. Happy to chat with you guys. Uh, love to hear what you'd like the next video to be on. And as always, move swiftly.
Don't forget, if you are keen to see what our educational mentorship could do for you in the next 12 months with your career, we are taking enrollments now. Only 12 spots are available and they are getting snapped up like hotcakes. Remember, it starts Monday, the 27th of November. And so you will need to be enrolled and had your call with me before then if you're keen to see how you could level up your education. Did you find something valuable in this episode? If so, I'd like to ask a tiny favor. If you have 30 seconds now, I'd love you to follow or share the podcast. That way we can continue to bring you more real, raw, and uncensored stories from industry leaders. We also love hearing from you and what you loved about every episode. The best way to reach out is to DM me personally on Instagram at Swift Coaches Academy. Until next time, and in whatever you do, move swiftly.